Happy Columbus Day. Happy Columbus Day. <laughs> Happy Canadian Thanksgiving. Woohoo! Canadian bacon! Woohoo! Happy October 13th. October 13th is good. Almost full moon. I think it is a full moon. Tonight? Oh, I was like, I thought tomorrow, but cool. Okay, the 13th. another episode of the Out of the Coffin podcast. This is episode 14 for October 13th. We're doing a freaking marathon here, man. I'm telling you, like every time I turn around, we gotta sit down, let's sit down, let's do podcasting. I'm sure you're always on my case, like you have to pester me about it. Well, Well, yeah, but I'm used to pestering. Let's do it weekly. I'm used to pestering you for weeks. It's like days. Like, come on, let's go. (laughs) Right. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. My name is Dan. This is my beloved fiance, Michelle. Say hello, Michelle. Hello, Michelle. We are the podcast all about vampires in fiction, folklore, and the folks down the street. And uh, it's going to be a short episode this week because we are bringing you the interview with Chris Lester of the Metamore City Podcast. Yay! Awesomeness that that is. Yay! And we'll be getting to that momentarily, but first... The news. Don't have any news. Oh, that's the news. Well, I, I have you one. Lied. I have one little bit of oddity. It's not really news. Um, the uh, the movie that I said that we were going to review this week that we were uh, spared from. Oh, sorry, well, sorry. only temporarily. Spoiler. spoiler. <laughs> only only temporarily. Uh, Netflix sent me a different movie. I think uh, Sundown was not quite ready. Uh, to be entered into the queues. It's not quite dead yet. It's not quite dead yet. <laughs> You're not fooling anyone. You'll be stone dead in a moment. Uh, so instead, they sent us Tales from the Crypt, Bordello of Blood. I love that one. I love that one, too. So it's Such a good boobies. Yes. Okay, sorry. Yes, very nice movie. So, boobies. I said boobies. I, I know you said boobies. <laughs> Thank you. B-O-O-B-I. Give me a B. Yes. Woo! Okay. okay. So uh, we won't be reviewing that this week. We'll review that next week. So the only other thing I wanted to mention is we came up with a couple of cool drink ideas. Oh my gosh! Can go do okay. tell do tell. So I've been again working on the vampire cookbook, and I've been trying to work on all different kinds of categories, and I've been trying to come up with if find or come up with new. Halloween drink recipes. Wow. And these are adult recipes. This is not the fruit punch with the floating gl- uh, ice hand in it. Uh, I'm trying to come up with um, variants of Bloody Marys, for example, things like that. Something that might be more suited to Halloween. Mm-hmm. And I discovered um, Blavod, which is black vodka. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, it's been around for a while, but you know, I don't. I'm not a drinker, so I don't know these things. Like, there's a vodka that's black. And I guess it's really cool to make uh, Halloween drinks with, or goth is, drinks with. You know, for for some of you, this is probably old news, but we don't get out much, so this right. this is as far as we go. So, so uh, <clears throat> I 
heard about a couple of drinks, and they're mostly just variants of things like the Tequila Sunrise, but with Blavad, and it floats well. So you've got the orange juice at the bottom and the Blavad on the top, and it's very nice uh, contrast of colors. So I'm working on some of those recipes, but what I did was is I started thinking of other recipes and seeing how I could use the Blavad with it. And uh, really the only thing I could think of was to take a Tom Collins and uh, use Blavad with that to turn it into a Barnabas Collins. Which, yeah, that was my idea. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's the same recipe as a Tom Collins. Uh, the recipe's on the website, but instead of uh, rum or any other alcohol beverage that you might use for your Tom Collins or your Ron Collins or your John Collins, because there's lots of variants of it, to make a Barnabas Collins, you substitute uh, the Blavad. So I thought that was really cool. Now, just just a little history moment, just for anyone that doesn't know, Barnabas Collins is... It was uh, the vampire from Dark Shadows. In what year? Well, both in the 60s, and it was also revamped, forgive the pun, in the, in the 90s, I believe. It's very, very cool. Dark Shadows. Definitely check it out if you've not seen it. I've read a book first before I even saw the show. Really? Oh, yes. one of the comic books? No. Oh, a not. book? They made a they novel? Made, they made a novel. I did not know that. Yes, and I got to see a lot, read a lot more of Barnabas's background. Mm-hmm. And to see him on a show was sort of a treat for me. Sure. So it was really cool. Did you ever get to see the redo, the reboot in no. the late eighties, early nineties? Something did? tells me that's on our list, right? Sure. I won't. <laughs> I won't force you to watch it. But it was good. Stuff. Oh no, Barnabas Collins. I'm telling because he's sort of like the the original Louis. And that's sure. what I really like. The, the you know yeah the angst ridden vampire who, or yeah who's uh, you know ashamed and depressed about what he has to do to survive. Yes, right. the, the, the moody one. Sure. The moody dark one. But right. another another spinoff that he reminds me of, and probably the original of, is... Um, Angel, Forever Night. Oh, yeah, Nick... Uh, Nick Knight. Nick Knight, yes. Yeah. Yes, the whole repenting thing, living with humans, and right. and he loves a girl, blah, 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 blah. Blah. Yeah, you can you can blame Barnabas Collins yeah, for the but, brooding vampire. Yeah, but he was he was such a classic. Again, oh, sure. reading reading you did not know that Dark Shadows know. had a novel? I've got a graphic novel that mm-hmm. they put out because apparently there was a comic strip and they collected them all into a book. And I've read that and there was a comic book that came out about the same time as the NBC series reboot. So it's got that same it carried on after that series ended. Mm-hmm. It didn't last very long, unfortunately. Not as long as the original did. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you know that there's a new Dark Shadows movie in the works? No, I did not know that. Johnny Depp is trying oh, to produce. Oh my god! You know, I've not been disappointed with Johnny Depp recently. Oh, I, I love the dark stuff, especially with Sweeney Todd. I mean, oh, I thought was, Sweeney Todd was awesome. That was it was beautiful. So if good if he, music, well, right? Yes. Now, hopefully, they don't make a musical out of Dark Shadows. Oh but. no! Can you imagine Barnum started starting out in song? Right. So. Uh, Johnny Depp is going to produce, is hoping, he's pitching. Planning. Yeah, he's pitching to <clears> the, <throat> okay. uh, to do a Dark Shadows movie with, could be him in the lead as Barnabas Collins, which could be he, cool too. He has that range. He could. He I has so. that range. Here's a trivia that I don't know. Okay. Is the original actor still alive? Jonathan Frid, I don't think so. Oh. I don't think so. I'll have to look that up. 
you know what would be really a wonderful homage? I know we're totally, totally backtracking from the whole drink recipe thing, but just for a second. Because well, this is what we're about. This, this is exactly. And and no kidding, for those who are listening to us, if you sat in our car, this is the conversations you really hear. So this is this is us in our purest sick form. Um, do you remember the Star Trek? Okay, I'm going to geek out on you They've just for done, a second. They have done show reunions with the cast. You know, when you're melding the two shows together, like that Star Trek Voyager, when they went and they were on the Enterprise, you remember that? Yes. Okay, bear with me, okay. right? Would they... Do you think it would work that they would do a black and white mix-in with seeing the original Barnabas walking by or something and oh, have the Johnny saying. Depp do his thing? Well, again, like I said, I don't think Jonathan Frid is available. <laughs> um, but a lot of the cast members are, and I believe... No, no, no. I mean by by screen. Like, the movie. It's like one of the shows itself. Oh! Playing, overlapping like they did with Star Trek. Maybe. That, I don't know. It would be wonderful be to nice do that. Nod, it would be. It would be, yeah. It'd be nice to have Shatner in the new Star Trek movie, but, you know, you know, you can only do what you can. Okay, so alcoholic drinks again. Right. I am so, so sorry. So there was one other one, but we'll just briefly mention it. Uh, and uh, I thought it would be cool to make a mimosa. Oh, I love this one. But uh, this doesn't use the Blavad. It's just a mimosa made with blood orange juice mm-hmm. instead of regular orange juice. And champagne or whatever else you might want to have in your mimosa. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, with the blood orange juice, it would have a nice deeper red darker color mm-hmm. and so i called that a bella mimosa i like that i thought it was cute it's not you know there are really corny drinks out there sure and considering that it's a nod to originals i don't see anything wrong with it right so you know? those are at least two recipes that are on the website right now if you want my my recipe suggestions for those and they'll be in the cookbook whenever that gets published well, that's another project. No, that's another project. project yeah. uh, so what we're going to go ahead and do is we'll take a break. Break. And when we come back, we'll have the interview with Chris Lester. So we'll be right back. Hi, Chris. Okay. <laughs> It's that time of year again. PodCamp AZ is coming to the University of Advancing Technology in Phoenix, November 1st and 2nd. PodCamp AZ is a free networking media unconference dedicated to blogging, video blogging, podcasting, and all other relevant media. At the heart of the unconference is the opportunity to have a conversation at large with those innovators which have created a successful blend of relevant media and put it to work for them. During PodCamp sessions, attendees are free to drop in, listen and learn about what is relevant to their needs, and if they choose to, move on to other sessions. You can also become an interactive part of the experience by bringing your knowledge to the discussions or stimulating ideas by asking questions. If you are a blogger, podcaster, video blogger, or you want to be, and want to meet hundreds of people with the same interests, head over to podcampaz.org to get more information about this exciting event and register today to attend PodCamp AZ November 1st and 2nd. Welcome back to the Out of the Coffin podcast. Right now, joining me tonight is Chris Lester, the creator of the excellent fantasy anthology podcast series Metamore City. 
Uh, he's also been a voice actor in many other excellent podcasts. Uh, one of my favorites is uh, Chasing the Bard with Philippa Valentine. Uh, he's also a high school biology teacher and a mad scientist in training, which I love that title. Um, I recently had the opportunity to meet Chris in person back in July when he came through Phoenix uh, on his trip, which has uprooted him from his previous life in Detroit and settled him into Berkeley, California. Yay. Uh, Chris, welcome. Hi, Dan. Yes. <laughs> Hi. Welcome to the show, and thanks for joining me tonight. Glad to be here. Thank you. Um, it probably goes without me saying, but I just can't help it. I have to gush a bit about Metamore City before we start. Uh, I'm sure you won't mind. <laughs> oh, all right. Oh, very well. If, Go ahead. <laughs> you um, must. I absolutely love the characters and the interactions between all of them. They're very well weaved together with some very interesting and treacherous plots that are going along in the novel, Making the Cut, which is part of mm -hmm. the podcast. I personally have never read any stories that have uh, weaved together modern and future technology uh, with high fantasy and magic before, and I think you've done it very well. Moreover, the characters in the story are brought to life by some incredibly talented voice actors. I'm not even going to list them all because we'd take up the entire interview just listing all the really <laughs> cool people involved. So if I had any complaint, and I've said this to you before, it mm. needs more vampires. More <laughs> vampires. There are a couple in this story. What I would love to see more is uh, we know so much about the Psy Collective, and we'll talk about mm -hmm. this all in a minute, but we know so much about their society we don't really get to see much of the vampire society, and I would just love to know more about the backstories of some of the characters, but that's just me, so uh -huh. I'll shut up now. Well, first of all, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, mm -hmm. I absolutely agree about our awesome cast. They've done a fantastic job for me, and I could not have asked for a better bunch of uh, men and women to help bring these stories to life. Um, very, feel very blessed, very fortunate to have those people on board. Um, as far as the vampires are concerned, I promise you that within a few chapters here, we are going to see a lot more of the uh, the vampire syndicate from the inside because oh, after the recent incident that has happened at Viscount Security Solutions in the last couple of yep. chapters... Malcolm Ardvalos, the Vampire Prince, is not happy, and <laughs> he's going to begin to take steps to have a hand in things that up until now he's sort of been removed from. So yes, you are going to see the uh, the inside of the Vampire Court, and uh, I'm really cool. looking forward. To, I'm really looking forward to Malcolm being on the show. He's voiced by TD zero zero one three of the yes. Different Point of View podcast, and his voice, he just has this wonderful, cultured, resonant voice that is absolutely perfect for the part, and I, I oh, can't yes. wait. Wonderful. So I would like to sort of back up a bit and uh, get a, a broad view of the universe for those mm -hmm. who aren't familiar with the uh, podcast, which if you're not, shame on you, but... Uh, I feel it necessary. So I know a little bit about Metamore Keep and a bit of the history with that. But what I'd like to know more about is 
how that storytelling environment has evolved into Metamore City. Basically, what happened is I started writing in Metamore Keep and started putting together these plans for a uh, the fantasy, um, you know, high fantasy, medieval fantasy sort of storyline that we were doing there, and uh, had come up with this pretty far-reaching set of consequences, i.e. the gods falling from heaven and being cast down to earth, and was thinking about what the effects of that were going to be long-term. The uh, The story arc that I was doing back then dealt with the, uh, the Lothanasi, the Lightbringers, who at that time were the uh, most prominent priesthood in the polytheistic religion that was competing with the uh, the monotheistic religion of the way. And uh, so after the gods were cast down to earth, the Lightbringers really did not have the same job to do anymore. And so trying to think about how that organization would evolve and what they would do when faced with the uh, with the the collapse of their belief system, and what the uh, the the lay believers would do uh, when they were suddenly faced with the fact that their gods who they had been worshiping were suddenly far less powerful than they had been, mm-hmm. and uh, thinking about what the long term effects were, and so all of this stuff were was rolling around in my head before um, large portions of the story arc had even been written. I had them plotted out, but didn't really. You know, they weren't in a prose format yet. As a matter of fact, that storyline has still not uh, completely been finished. But it got me thinking about where the world would be long term. And so I started brainstorming with one of my fellow writers in the uh, the community whose name was Ricks. And uh, we started ban- batting ideas back and forth about, uh, you know, the uh, modern age world of Metamore. And uh, that was pretty much where Metamore City got started. And so as Metamore Keep evolved into Metamore City, we get all the modern technology that has evolved side by side with the magic and the, how I want to say, fantasy creatures, I guess. Hmm? I assume that Metamore Keep storytelling still happens. Oh yeah, yeah. The Metamorph Keep uh, story story world is still going going on. Um, there's a lot of people who are um, still writing in it. I'd say they probably have something in the neighborhood of a dozen active writers right now. I have sort of withdrawn, at least temporarily, from active participation in what's going on over there because I've been tied up with the Metamorph City Your project. Yeah, as I as I um, have mentioned in some of my other interviews, there's been some disagreement about you know whether the uh, the world of Metamore City is you know a, a likely future or a probable future for this world, and so we basically decided a number of years ago that we weren't going to pin ourselves down to one timeline. I'm taking my version of the world and forking it in this direction, you know, basically forking the source code. And uh, there are other people who have other ideas for long-term visions of, you know, where Metamore could go, but none of them have really um, brought them to life in in the the level of detail that, uh, that Metamore city has been, been uh, brought into reality. 
So yeah, I'm I'm kind of I was sensing that there were some some sources of potential conflict within the the community, and I didn't want to be a cause of of conflict or strife or anything. And so, you know, I've kind of taken my variant on the universe, and I'm you know playing with it over here. And anybody who wants to come with me is welcome to do so. But I'm not trying to sell this as you know the future of Metamore Keep. Sure. So, when did you start writing uh, Making the Cut and the stories that have created this new world? I started the first story um, in the Metamore City universe. Uh, Welcome to the City was written, I think, in 1999. Then I um, gradually wrote some of the other stories in that, uh, that universe over the next several years. Actually, I think it may have even been later than that. I think we start. We were planning aggressively in 1999, but I don't think I actually got to writing it until sometime around 2001. And then 2002 was, I believe, when I wrote Huntress. Um, 2003 would have been uh, when I wrote The Muse. 2004 was Troubled Minds. And uh, I don't think I did much of anything in 2005. Making the Cut... I did. Um, I started that in May of 2007. I had been plotting it over the course of a couple of years. I, I pretty much started plotting that story soon after I completed Troubled Minds because I wanted to know who these people were, you know, and what their story was. We saw a glimpse of of Abby and her, the members of her cell, towards the end of that story, and I wanted to know. Okay, what's what's the bigger story here, and you know what's going on inside this society? So I've been plotting that off and on, working on an outline from the end of 2004 um, up until the end of April 2007, and then as soon as I finished it, I took a week off and then came back and started working on the novel, and I just finished that this week. That was one of the questions I had for you. You've been writing this all this time. When did you decide you wanted to uh when did you decide it was right to start podcasting that when you were still wor- writing it? Um I knew from around the time of March or so it's February or March of 2007 I knew that I wanted to do the podcast um mm-hmm. if I could make it happen. Uh at that point I still didn't know uh, if that was going to be feasible, if I could get people on board for it. So I, um, you know, I, I worked really aggressively during that time to finish up the outline that I'd been, you know, kind of picking at off and on for a couple of years. Because I knew that if I was going to do the podcast, that I was going to need to have more substance than the stories that I already had. And so I started writing that in May 2007, like I said. And uh, during the summer, I was working on pulling together people to um, give voices to the different characters and started putting together the short stories as episodes. And I figured that by Christmas, I should be finished with making the cut. Um, well, the, if the story had been 100,000 words, then I would have been finished. Uh, right. But yeah, it turned out to be 191,000 words. <laughs> so we're at chapter 17 right now. That's the last one you released. How many mm-hmm. chapters of Making the Cut are there? 
31 plus an epilogue, and the uh, chapter 31 and the epilogue will play together in the last chap, the last episode. So we've got a long way to go still. Yep, I'm figuring it'll take probably about seven months to uh, to finish making the cut at this point. Wonderful. So it'll be finished right around May, right in, right around time for my birthday. That'd be pretty cool. Oh, that would be pretty cool. Have you decided if you want to seek traditional publication for making the cut, or are you going to work on any other stories? Are, are you going to seek a, a publisher or an agent or anything like that for it? Not in the near future. I'm kind of waiting to see how the whole uh, publishing world sorts itself out since <laughs> it seems to be on the verge of imploding. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm, I'm sort of waiting for the dust to settle and focusing on building an audience uh, in the uh, in the internet. So we'll see how that goes. I want to get up to, I'm about up to 2,000 regular listeners now, and I want to get into the neighborhood of 5,000 before I really seriously consider marketing it to somebody. Mm-hmm. Would you consider going a route like Mer Lafferty did with Playing for Keeps, which is self-publish it through a company like Lulu and provide that to your listeners, to your uh, rabid fans who would love to see it in, in print format, and but then still decide later on if you wanted to seek something else out with it. I've thought about it, yeah. Um, I think that before I would go the, the self-publishing route, I would need to, at the very least, um, hire an editor to work on it, and I haven't priced out how much that costs yet. But um, I don't want to put it out there unedited because, uh, as much as I think that I'm a good writer, and I think that um, you know, I'm hearing from people whose opinions I respect that it's well written. Um, I know that there's probably a lot of streamlining that would need to happen for um, for it to go to print. So. I uh, will have to see what I can do on that front. Wow. Excellent. Okay, so i got another question for you. Uh, music is oh, plays a wonderful part in the podcast. You've made some wonderful choices in music oh, that not only serves as uh, background music, but have played wonderful parts in the story, like uh, a couple of songs by Hungry Lucy that have been ah, yes. wonderfully played. Um I understand you're also a songwriter. Is that correct? Uh, sometimes, yes. I, I wouldn't say that it is a big part of my life, but uh, I've written about four or five songs over the years. Have any of your songs made its way to the podcast, or do you see that happening? Not really, no. Um, I did put together a song that was sort of inspired by um, what Danny was going through Um back when I was about halfway through the process of writing it. So mm-hmm. um, actually even before that, I think it was around the time I was writing around chapter 11 or 12. Um, so, but the, I'm not really pleased with the quality of it. And it ended up that the story sort of went in a different direction from where I thought it was going at the time that I wrote the song. So it doesn't really apply anymore anyway. That's the only attempt that I've made up to now uh, to try to put anything into music related to the podcast. Most of my other stuff has been 
ironically enough, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the, a webcomic by the name of Elgunish Shive, but uh, it's over at egscomics.com. And uh, that actually, three of the songs that I have written were inspired by characters and storylines in that comic. So <laughs> that is, uh, you know, it's a very odd little niche to have tickled that part of my creative uh, juices, but, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. The muse, the muse uh, will strike at odd times, yes. It really, really does, and that's one of the things. I, I have not really tried to become a songwriter. I just, uh, you know, I, I work on my other stuff, and then if I happen to be struck by something, then I will see if I can turn it into music. But uh, most of what I, I get in terms of playing songs, you know, in terms of, of inventing new new songs sort of comes out of chord progressions that I find while fiddling around with my guitar. And I'll think, ooh, that sounds good. I should do a song with that. And sometimes I'll get something for it and sometimes I won't. So Okay. Well you just you just brought up an interesting point. Did you see yourself becoming a writer? It's always been a uh a little dream that's been hanging around in the back of my mind since mm -hmm. I was probably around nine or ten. Um, it's not ever something that I figured would be my main career, but mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, the idea of being a, a published author was something <laughs> that, uh, you know, kind of appealed to me and my grotesquely oversized ego at the time. You know, I've kind of wavered back and forth on the extent to which that was really important to me, um, mm -hmm. mostly because I would finish a story and then come back to it a year later and look at it and realize that it sucked. Uh, so it's only been in the last several years that I've been able to really feel like I've, I've hit a, not necessarily a plateau with my writing, but certainly a place where I can look back at the stories that I wrote in, you know, 2000, 2001 and say, okay, that's not terrible. <laughs> you know, Huntress being an example. Huntress was a wonderful story. Um, Thank you. Of course, it features vampires quite heavily, so, you know. Yes. Uh, Morgan Drowling, excellent character. Mm -hmm. Is she going to be uh, in Making the Cut? Will she be in the story? Morgan does have a couple of brief appearances in Making the Cut, um, but keep in mind, this is 1995 CR. She is still human. Okay. And so, yeah, the, she will be appearing in the story, but she's not going to be the same Morgan that we saw in Huntress. This is Morgan when she was finishing up her work as a, um, you know, a, an intern at the uh, the hospital. You know, she's going through her residency, um, getting ready to start her extensive in-depth training in forensic uh, pathology. So, you know, she's kind of in a, a very different place from where we see her a few years later in Huntress. Excellent. Well, and that's one of the things I love about making the cut is you do provide, it is, if nothing else, a wonderful background to characters who we've read in other stories and will hopefully see in future stories as well. Mm -hmm. So besides being in own, its own incredible story arc. 
let me just ask you, which which characters in, in making the cut are you particularly interested to see where they're going long term? Well, I am curious, of course, to see how Daniel slash Danny uh, evolves. Does she decide to stick with the curse that has made her an androgyne? Uh, does she end up back with Rebecca, or is that relationship completely uh, lost? And I think we're coming to see Rebecca fighting for him now. Uh, so those characters interest me. Uh, I love Callie Linder. I like the runner character. She is great. Um, and I also really enjoy Artax, who's just a uh, no-nonsense, uh, just read the sign behind me because I'm a wizard. <laughs> That's why. I love that line. Um, <laughs> so I've yeah. got to admit, those are my favorite characters. Well, thank you. Yeah, Callie is one of those characters who sprung fully formed from my mind like Athena from the head of Zeus and uh, has caused about as much trouble. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but she, she is a, just a delight to play with because uh, with her powers of supernatural luck, I can do all kinds of crazy things and just make them happen because that's right. what she does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Artax... I, I I just love writing him. He is so much fun to write because I get to channel all of that snark that builds up inside <laughs> me and, you know, just put it into the, the maximum crotchety old man. And <laughs> plus, he's he's got so many secrets. I love his uh, his character because he's lived such a long and uh, and rich and complicated life, and he's got mm-hmm. all of this wonderful angst built up from his his past choices. And uh, Brian did a fabulous job of bringing that stuff out in make believe, and I'm looking forward yes. to exploring more of it in future stories. Yes, that was a very good story. I, I liked that, and I do. That's a good segue as well. I love that you have opened up your universe to other writers with a Creative Commons share-like license, attribution, share-like license, so that people can come in and, with your assistance, uh, create more stories for the characters in Metamore City, which is excellent. Yeah, I'm very happy with that. I love the the fact that people have been interested in doing that. Um, When Nobilis sent me his first story set in the world of Metamore, I thought that was great. And uh, when Brian approached me about doing some, and uh, Pitt Ballantyne has also talked to me about doing some work um, with the Fae, of course, in cool. uh, in Metamore. And I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what she does with that when she has the time to do so. She's pretty busy right now. But, yes. Uh, but yeah, we've had a number of, of people approaching me about doing work in the setting. And, you know, since Metamore Keep was a cooperative storytelling universe, sort of, is a natural progression for me to share what's going on in Metamore City as well. Most excellent. I I know that you are also a role-playing game enthusiast. Um, Mm -hmm. How has that influenced your creation of this world? In a number of different ways. The ideas for the Psy Collective, the sense that you have different, different kinds of Psy powers, which can be different, you know, at different levels of power, which can then be developed to different levels of skill. 
Um, that's something that I, I stole shamelessly from uh, the GURPS psionics of 3rd edition. Um, when GURPS went to 4th edition, I was very sad because they completely changed the way that, that psionics worked, and I thought that that was such an elegant system. But that was where the idea of the different psychic disciplines came from and of the idea that you have people rated at different power levels and that you know, not everybody has the same powers and not everybody can use their powers in the same ways and not everybody who has power at the same level can use it to the same degree of you know, mental dexterity. Sure. So that was definitely a, uh, a big area where gaming shaped my thinking. Another one was um, some of the, the ideas, the, the psychometabolism powers, the, uh, the egoists. Um, that was an, a concept that was um, inspired by the D&D psionic system. Um, you know, when I first was reading that and, you know, started looking at the different ideas of changing a person's body physically through the use of uh, psychic energy or enhancing their body's performance with that, that uh, sort of, you know, that, that, was, that was a really cool idea that I latched on to, which was further refined by a, um, a cross-gen comics title by the name of Crux that was out briefly um, in a number of years ago. And uh, they had a character there who um, had that same kind of uh, egoist power. I don't think they called it that, but it was basically a guy who used psychic energy to make himself super strong. So okay. that was, you know, all of Fiona's capabilities um, were sort of inspired by those two sources. Um, in terms of magic, uh, I think that being a role-playing gamer gets you thinking about things like uh, game balance and about limitations of power and what can people really do when it comes to magic. The idea that, that magic needs to have rules that are abided by and that there are certain, you know, that, that different kinds of magic fall into different classifications or schools. Um, you know, all of that, that sort of idea was shaped by the fact that I was a role-playing fan who was conscious of these sorts of, of balancing things and the idea that you don't just have one type of wizard who's good at all kinds of magic. You have to specialize. Right. Well, I think I've... Uh taken enough of your time but one last question for you before I go what is next for you Mr. Lester what will Ooh. you be working on well um, or does your your high school teaching keep you extremely busy I'm sure well it keeps me busy but I'm ironically having more time to write now than I used to because the very rigid sort of life that I'm I'm you know, in gives me very structured time periods of in order to do things. And so there are certain times when it, it works very well for me to be able to write. Um, and also the fact that I don't really have a social life yet. So, <laughs> you know, coming out here to, you know, a new city, I've got friends in the Bay Area, but they are clear on the other side of the Bay and in some cases on the other side of the Santa Cruz Mountains. So... There's not a lot of time when people can come out and hang out with me. You know, it's not like when I was living two miles from Brian's house and we would you know, meet on Monday nights at his place for Babylon 5. 
And then on <laughs> Tuesday, I would go dancing with Sarah. And then, you know, Wednesday, we might have something else going on. So, oh, good. Yeah. So you've become a recluse so that you can get more writing done. <laughs> Excellent. Or I get more writing done because it, it's an outlet for my, uh, my reclusive, you know, shuttered in mind. Um, <laughs> in terms of what's coming next, um, the next novel that I'm working on is uh, the second novel in the Metamore uh, City world. It is a detective story called Things Unseen, and it's going to star uh, Kate Katane and David Silverleaf, uh, so we're going to get back to the cops. Okay. And they are investigating a series of mysterious deaths in which people's bodies appear to have been consumed from the inside out by magic. Ooh. And nice. uh, at the same time, they're sort of uh, being pulled into additional levels of complication by the fact that a powerful um, member of the uh, Metamore nobility has basically leaned on the department to assign magical affairs to find her, uh, her missing daughter, who is basically a spoiled Paris Hilton type. Yeah. And has gone missing. And so she wants to make sure that somebody uses, you know, proper divination magic and locates her. And so they have to pull in the, uh, you know, pull in Kate and her, uh, her partner to do this, which of course cuts into what's going on with the, the death investigation. And these sorts of, these stories sort of weave together in interesting and unexpected ways. And, uh, that's all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Okay. Ah, good. Well, thank you very much for taking some time to chat with me tonight. It was my pleasure, Dan. Thanks for having me. Okay. Well, um, if you would like to learn more about Chris Lester and his podcast, please visit metamorecity.com. That's M-E-T-A-M-O-R-C-I-T-Y.com. And you can also visit his personal blog at chrislester.org. The Pieces Podcast is an experiment in cooperative podcast fiction. Eight authors take turns writing chapters of this tale set in a world fractured by divine neglect. Hear the words and voices of Nobilis, Christiana Ellis, Chris Lester, Grey Dancer, Paul S. Jenkins, Brandon Crows and John Tanzer, and Philippa Ballantyne in this dark novel of... Well, to be honest, I don't know yet. But with talent like this, it is not to be missed. Find us at pieces.libsyn.com. All right, we are back. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did having the chat with Chris. And uh, once again, that's metamorecity.com. It's an awesome podcast. He's done other voices, and he's currently also contributing to the Pieces podcast. I'll put a link to both of those in the show notes. So before we go, um, again, no movie this week. but uh, Yeah, we get a break. Yeah, we get a little break. You, you don't get to hear us dissecting another poor vampire movie to death. Yes, thank you. That's um, my job. Right. Next time, though. <laughs> for the love of blood. Blah. Right. But before we go, Michelle has something she wants to mention. Okay. Okay, anyways. Um, 
there are whispers in the air since it's odd, since it's October yes. and the cold weather is settled in and there's a full moon. Whispers have it that there's actually thinking about or pitching uh-huh. the idea of having a nocturne, a uh, Laval Mass nocturne by Crimson Swan Productions. Uh, we're looking at March, Friday the 13th. Yes. 2009. Uh, right now, as we're sitting five or six months away, I think it's five months away, and um, it looks like I could throw the location out, but I'm not going to do that. Let's solidify that. We have a DJ. That's we, about all we've got confirmed A right now. really good DJ, and we're floating on saying other things, but right now I'm not going to. Right, right. now... I've already said too much. Right. Michelle's got a job. It's going well. Yay, you know, got a job. Let's not jinx anything. Let's no, not start making that. plans two weeks into the job. But that is, we are always thinking about, you know, when will we be able to throw the next ball. So mm-hmm. look forward to that. And it's for charity. That's right. the whole point of it. Friday the 13th, March 2009 is our current And can you tell pitch. me the theme that you were talking about, that incredible, incredible theme. Well, we were thinking about April, and so I had come up with the concept of Masquerade of Fools Mm -hmm. uh, for April Fool's Day. But I I do like uh, the idea of March better, not only timing-wise, but I like the Friday the 13th Mm -hmm. uh, theme. That doesn't mean we're going to have everyone wearing hockey masks, please God, no. But uh, superstition might be the theme for Friday the 13th's Masquerade of Fools. So. I think everyone's going to go dressed in someone like Twilight and everything. You're going to see that so much. I think so. I yeah. think there'll be lots of Edwards and Bellas, and that's, yeah. that's cool. That is cool, because, you know, we're going to keep it really simple. And my hope, and I'm just going to throw this out there, my hope, wish, and dream is to have a successful event in March and then October comes and then we will have the big bash that I've wanted to do for years now. So again, it's for a good cause. A portion of the proceeds go directly to the American Cancer Society. That's its hope, its breath, its life, the whole purpose of it being there. And we will keep you updated. I promise you, this is not going to be like one of those kind of events that, oh boy, it's a commercial. No, you're really going to hear step-by-step plans about it. You're going to hear me bitch about it. And you're going to hear Dan rip his hair out over it because mm-hmm. he's my beloved who does all of the computer stuff and the tickets. <laughs> right. So, Making sure that we can sell tickets on the website. That's just about it. Uh, if we hear anything, do want to share anything with anybody, we will. And if anyone has anything interesting to want to throw at us, preferably nothing sharp and pointy <laughs> no, would no be Mr. nice. Pointy. No, no pointy, no. Um, I want to throw an idea at you. Okay. All right. How would you feel, since we have oodles of, of trivia everywhere, Sure. Right? How would you feel if we did a few trivia questions for the show? On the podcast. On the podcast. Mm-hmm. And then we'll post some of the answers up, or how do you want to try to do that? I, I think that would be really fun for Halloween. 
closer. If I could find a way to have trivia on the website. Mm -hmm. So we might ask a couple of questions on the podcast, mm -hmm. and people might be able to uh, post their answers or call in with their answers or whatever. Uh, but what if there was a way to actually have sort of like a trivia video game sort of thing on the website for all kinds of vampire and horror-related trivia questions? What do you think? Would that I, be cool? I think that's way more than what I was thinking about a simple poll. But that would be incredible, Okay, whatever you come up with. I would love to do some trivia, sort of like uh, Slice of Sci-Fi does. Yeah. If anyone wants but to... But just vampire sure. horror, yeah. If anyone would want to send in sound clips from vampire movies and have us try to guess what they are, that would be awesome. Uh, but see, if we did that to ask you guys, I don't know if that would be as much interactive Because we'll fun. know the answer. It's not fair. So yeah, that doesn't have to count be obscure questions. Yes, yes. But, uh, but a fun trivia game online could be cool. Yes, I think so. And maybe later on down the road, if this experiment works, right? Yeah. Maybe we could do some prizes. Maybe. Maybe. Like our incredible CD, Segway. Our incredible CD that Magnatunes gave us, uh, gave permission for us to create. Yes. Segway. And um, I'm also thinking maybe, oh, you're so cute. Maybe we can also maybe put some tickets on sure. on the thing. They'd have to be really good trivia questions. All right. Okay, so, so. As a segue. Yes. Let's talk about the CD. What number are we on? What this, song number? This is the 13th song, the final song from the CD. Pee which we'll wrap the, this episode up with. Um, again, the album is For the Blood is the Life, and it is a collection of gothic, melodramatic, but also high-energy rock music, too. So you get all genres of music on this CD. That's me on the cover. Yes, with my <laughs> beloved fiancé, Michelle, on the cover. Um, and... You can't go wrong with this because there's 13 songs. I think everyone will find something that they would like. We've, and for $13. And it's for $13, and proceeds from the album go directly to the Joe Murphy Memorial Fund for the sales of this CD. So we hope that, uh, you know, if you help us, we help them, and everybody gets helped. And, and that's and it's the a whole, good thing. that's the whole point of why we do this. Right. So, so this final song, the 13th song from the album, is The Art of Possession, No Escape, by the band Falling You. Once again, thank you, John Buckman and everyone at Magnitude Records and all the bands who provided the music for this CD. We appreciate it. And uh, like I said, part of the proceeds go to the Joe Murphy Memorial Fund. The rest goes to help us throw the ball. So we can continue helping others. That's right. So we can donate to the American Cancer Society and help others so please have a listen and i hope uh you might consider buying the album and helping us out and we can continue on with the ball so without any further ado here's the song and we'll see you next week yes you will good night good night
that wraps up another episode of the Out of the Coffin podcast. Thanks for listening. This blog and podcast are copyright 2008 by Dan Charette under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike License Some Rights Reserved. If you have any comments about this podcast, feel free to drop a note at outofthecoffin.com slash contact. Or, if you'd rather leave some voicemail, you can call us at 1-206-350-7638.